Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. You know, I listen to Bickley and Murata. Terrific show, by the way. I really enjoy it. Bickley and Murata mornings from 6 to 10. Bickley and Murata. It's the greatest show on earth. Bickley and Murata. Good morning and welcome. Dan Bickley. Where's the guru? Vince Murata. It's a power-packed morning zoo. Are you kidding me? Bickley and Murata. Bickley and Murata. I love this show. This is the greatest show in the history of radio. It's the greatest radio show ever. Bickley and Murata. I hate everything about this show. This is the worst show in the world. Hello. Good morning, everybody. Happy Wednesday. We call them Shenanigans Wednesday. Today's is coming off of a very enjoyable, very interesting evening of sports in Arizona and in America, Vinny. It was. Yeah. There was interest all over the place. Oh, yeah. yeah. You had Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal going off on Kyrie Irving. You had the Suns putting the hammer to the Timberwolves. You had a crazy NFL trade deadline. And, man, that seat, that scene in Philly last night, I don't know how much of that you were able to partake. Not a lot. Oh. A little bit before the Suns game started. but It was everything you hoped it would be. And a, and a win at the mullet. Yes, and that's right. And a win at the mullet. Um, I don't think we're going to get to that today, though. But anyways, I digress. It's Here's- splash-worthy. Okay, gotcha. Real quick, um, I I told you all I was really looking forward to the vibe in Game 3, but there was a story coming out of Philly last night that just warmed my heart because when you get to the top level of sports cities, this is the kind of stuff you do. The Houston Astros realized our players are going to want to eat some food after the game. They tried to get food catered from a couple of places in Philly. And they wouldn't do it. <laughs> they wouldn't do it. Sorry. Keep walking. We reserve the right to refuse service right. to so, anyone. So, They're probably lucky. Especially no, you, see, no, 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 no. See, that's, a bad sports town would take the moment to poison the food. You don't do that. You just go. Salt Lake City. Yeah, right. yeah. Right. That's wrong yeah, that on two pizza. levels. Yeah. You, you take the money and make them sick. That's right. Yeah, right. Exactly. That, that's win. Yeah, that's, that's the, see, that to me, that's a little yucky. What you do is you say, no, you're not eating my food. Which I think is kind of funny. <laughs> I think it's really funny. They try they try to get Angelo's Pizza, which is extremely popular in South Philly. They're like, yeah, whatever. Right? You'd think by the like fourth restaurant they've called, they'd be like, hi, we're the Phillies. Yeah, hey. Can you uh, feed us? Yeah, yeah, right. Hey, we're the Astros. Can you bring us food? Right, right. My that name did, is that Bryce Harper. Work. Can yeah, you feed exactly. me? How do they combat that? They just yeah. hand out like $20 bills? You guys are all on your own? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a room good, service. It's a real good. It's a, yeah. So that also tells you they must not have been happy with the catering that was provided to them by the home team, which is weird, but whatever. It's just a funny little sideline story that, that is funny. shows you there's no, and when championships and are on the line, near the end of the game, the camera went on a guy dressed as Santa Claus in Philly, and you know what they did? Oh, no. They cheered. What? Philly's all grown up now. <laughs> Philly's all grown up. Well, they were winning the game, and they're up 2-1. They're halfway to a World Series yeah. title. They're right. for, very forgiving at that point. All right, point. Vinny's done a lot of writing for the splash. Start the show, Jarrett. Splash, splash. The stories making waves in the sports world. The splash. Animal. 
The Splash, brought to you by Presidential Pools, Arizona's number one pool builder. See why at presidentialpools.com. The NFL trade deadline came yesterday, expired at 1 o'clock Arizona time, and it was a period of inactivity for the Arizona Cardinals. They opted not to make any moves, but not a lot of teams followed suit. The Miami Dolphins were the most active team on Tuesday. They swung a deal for edge rusher Bradley Chubb from the Denver Broncos, along with a 2025 fifth-round pick in exchange for running back and former Cardinal Chase Edmonds, a 2023 first-round pick and a 2024 fourth-round pick. Dolphins also picked up running back Jeff Wilson from the 49ers for a uh, fifth-round pick. The Bills picked up running back Naheem Hines from the uh, Indianapolis Colts, sending Zach Moss and a draft pick to the Colts. The Bears trade a 2023 second-round pick to the Steelers for wide receiver Chase Claypool. We talked yesterday about about the Lions sending tight end TJ Hawkinson to the Vikings uh, for a fourth-round pick and a conditional fourth-round pick. And a weird trade, I think. The Jaguars picking up suspended wide receiver Calvin Ridley from Atlanta for conditional draft pick compensation. Yeah, that was a little bit odd, wasn't it? Yes. It was a good day for the suspended. We'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, Cardinals, uh, according to reports, did are signing linebacker Camille Grugier-Hill, who was released by the Houston Texans at his request last week. He was Houston's leading tackler last year with 108, had started six games for the Texans this season, but is ranked 79th out of 80 linebackers by Pro Football Focus this year with an overall grade of 30. He's 28 years old. He played college football at Eastern Illinois. He likes long walks on the beach, sushi, and quiet Friday wow. nights at home with good wow. made-for-TV mysteries. Wow. Uh, Cardinals back on the practice field today. We'll get our first look at the Week 9 injury report for their game against the Seattle Seahawks on Sunday. Spoiler alert, it's going to be long again. <laughs> I think the Cardinals have had the advantage on names on the injury report every single week. Yeah. Also, spoiler alert, only some of them will be back on the practice field today. That is true. This is a Wednesday. It is Wednesday. Uh, another home game, another win for the Phoenix Suns. They disposed of the Minnesota Timberwolves 116-107 on Tuesday night. Cam Johnson exploded for a season-high 29 points, 7 of 11 from three-point range. Mikel Bridges, 19. Devin Booker, 18 for the Suns, their fifth straight. The homestand continues Friday night uh, and actually Saturday night. Back-to-back games against the Portland Trailblazers at Footprint Center. Uh, huge news in the NBA yesterday. Steve Nash and the Brooklyn Nets mutually parted waves. Uh, ways. Nash served as head coach for two-plus seasons, went 94-67, and 67, guided the Nets to two playoff appearances. Of course, he was uh, partly the subject of Kevin Durant's off-season ultimatum, they go or I go, which also included GM Sean Marks, who made this move. He lasted seven games this year. Jock Vaughn takes over on an interim basis, although the Nets appear to be on the verge of hiring suspended Celtics head coach Ime Yudoka because they just don't have enough drama already. Uh, by the way, they lost to Chicago last night by six in Brooklyn, and their number one drama source, Kyrie Irving, had four points. I don't think we've ever seen a situation like this in the history of the NBA. Maybe yeah, professional sports. Yeah, a lot of people who cover the team say this is you know, this is an all-time high for dysfunction inside of an organization. Yes. Hard to argue with it. And Hard to argue with it. We're seven games in. Yeah, and, and the NBA still has this festering problem with Kyrie Irving that it's had Oof. now for two days. Yes, and it, uh, got like you said before the splash, got called out big time by n- numerous members of the TNT crew last night. Well, it's night. about time. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, 
Uh, it took until their third game there, but the Arizona Coyotes finally got their first win at Mullet Arena. 3-1 over the Panthers. Lawson Krause tied things up at one in the first, and then Nick Ritchie broke the tie 8-55 into the third. Clayton Keller added an empty netter to ice the win. Karel Vimelka outstanding in net 41 saves on the night. Uh, the Yotes' first ever homestand concludes uh, at Mullet Arena concludes tomorrow night with a visit from the Dallas Stars. The Philadelphia Phillies held their own home run derby last night tying a World Series record with five long balls and a 7-0 win over the Astros in Game 3 of the Fall Classic. Bryce Harper started the hit parade, two-run shot in the first. Alex Bohm, Brandon Marsh had solo jobs in the second. Kyle Schwarber, a two-run blast, followed by Reese Hoskins, a solo shot in the fifth. All of the homers came off of the same pitcher, Lance McCullers. Who is caught tipping pitches, Vinny. Yes, although he says no. They they just beat me. Of course he's going to say that. Real quick, and we're going to get into this. I find it fascinating in baseball that it's it's better for a starting pitcher to admit I stunk than it is to say yeah maybe they got me yes, in that. Yes, absolutely. It's weird. <laughs> because they're going to keep looking they're, and next time he's on the yeah. mound. Uh, game four of that series tonight at the bank in Philly. Christian Javier throwing for the Astros against Aaron Nola of the Phillies first pitch 5-0-3. Uh, D-backs first baseman Christian Walker named the National League Rawlings Gold Glove winner at first base yesterday nabbing the honor for the first time in his career. First D-back to win a gold glove since they had three different winners in 2019. Walker led all first basemen uh, with 17 defensive runs saved. 11 more wow. than Matt Olson wow. of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, first college football playoff rankings released last night. Surprise, surprise. Tennessee at number one, followed by Ohio State, Georgia, and Clemson rounding out the top five. The Arizona Wildcats scored a 91-61 win over Western Oregon in a college Ew. hoops exhibition. Anybody you know the cool. Western Oregon lo- uh, mascot? I didn't know. I had, uh, I had to look the, it up. the Goonies. Begins with a W. The Western Ducks. No. <laughs> the Wolves. Ooh. Yeah. Very scary. And uh, former Arizona State head coach Herm Edwards will be back at ESPN starting Friday as an NFL and college football analyst. So now, Arizona State fans, when you turn on the worldwide leader, you get that reminder of the Herm Edwards era. How's that going to feel? Doesn't that feel just a little bit... Grimy? Yeah, good word, Ruthless. Doesn't it feel just a little bit grimy? Shouldn't there be some separation, some time spent on the sideline? I mean... It's been what, like five, six it's weeks? It's been like a minute, yeah. I just... <laughs> not, yeah, I didn't even think that long? long. Yeah, Late September? I'm just glad he's back on TV in time for the... The Terrial Cup. Wow. Yeah. Oh, there you go. There's your splash for Wednesday, November 2nd. Coming up next, yeah, Cardinals didn't do anything at the trade deadline. Was that the right decision? We'll get into that and more next. Bickley and Murata mornings live from the Ak Chin Community Studios here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata mornings. Wednesday edition of Bickley Murata Mornings, live from the Auction Community Studios. A good morning to all. Yesterday, uh, on this very program, Bick, we talked about the possibilities that were out there for the Arizona Cardinals at the trade deadline. Cardinals, a 3-5 and five football team through eight games, not yet to their midway point. Um, they had made a trade earlier. They went and got Robbie Anderson a couple weeks ago, the mm-hmm. wide receiver from Carolina, and we've seen no production there. But yesterday... Um, no movement, 
no trades made. And what Gambo put out there was uh, that they weren't even close to making any moves. Yeah, listen, there's a lot of there were a lot of mixed feelings about this, Vinny. From what I could read earlier in the day, there was a feeling that the Cardinals should not squander any more draft capital because this is not a talent issue with the roster. Yes. This is a coaching. This is an operational matter. So why get involved in, in kind of as mortgage more of your future, which is completely understandable, unless you have got the idea or the hope that the offense is going to come around and the defense might begin to play down or break down a little bit. And if that was the case, there was a player out there that obviously fit a big need for the Cardinals. Now that player was acquired by the Miami Dolphins and Bradley Chubb. Yes. And and but again, it's it's it, the inactivity, the lack of of overall aggression in in terms of of being proactive. It, this has been a recurring thing with this football team. So you, you, you hope they're making the right choice. I mean, yes. you, you look at what the 49ers did. The 49ers did something real, real bold in acquiring Christian McCaffrey. Now, people go, oh, the Cardinals acquired Robbie Anderson. Robbie Anderson was about ready to get kicked to the street in Carolina. Mm-hmm. Questionable that they even had to give something up to get Robbie Exactly, Anderson. exactly. We heard the Rams were going after Brian Burns in a big, big way. Um, I'm hearing and other people are reporting the 49ers might be making a move at Odell Beckham Jr. Because <laughs> um, he's just sitting out there as a street free agent. Well, he's got like seven more uh, free agent uh, recruiting visits to make yeah, before he makes right. up his mind. And, and and then you've got the Seattle Seahawks who've got something very special going. So I so the Cardinals certainly are not acting like they're all in it to win it. It looks like they're just kind of got their fingers crossed that they can kind of find the the power outlet and get this thing plugged in. There's one reason, in my belief, but there's one reason why this was even a question going into deadline Tuesday for the Arizona Cardinals. And the reason is the rest of their division stinks. <laughs> the Cardinals uh-huh. stink, but right. everybody else does too. So uh-huh. it kind of it kind of put a cloud over everything. Yeah. yeah I, exactly. I don't disagree with your question, though. That is there a belief that the offense will come around while the defense sputters? And, and um, you know, we've we've had discussions about the defense. As a whole, the defense is overachieved. Mm-hmm. I think that magic is running out a little bit in in recent weeks. And yeah. there was a stat that I came across from the Ringers, Austin Gale. The Cardinals rank thirty second in defensive success rate. And 31st in points allowed. Oof. That are no longer the calling card of an overachieving defense. I just don't, I don't have any faith that the offense will come around. Mm -hmm. It'll look different. You'll see highlight plays and a lot of production from DeAndre Hopkins, but from an overall operational standpoint, consistency standpoint, you know, red zone uh, operation, uh, third down operation, we've they've seen got, very uh, little they've improvement. Got, they've got too much to fix, and and the operational issues are so profound mm-hmm. that it, it really just feeds into the idea that you need to come and just turn this thing over. Come unplug this. Try something else, because that's where you're at right now. It's almost as if it's almost as if a new regime has to come in and reprogram this offense in terms of how do we play with a huddle. The words that came out of Cliff Kingsbury's mouth recently about the huddle I, that was another one of those instances of telling on yourself. The idea that hey, you know what, working in a huddle—that's something Kyler and I have never done before, so it's new to us. <laughs> 
trying to integrate it mid-season. <laughs> yeah, here was that from uh, Monday. Really, with just the new pieces, you know, so the Robbie Anderson, some of those new offensive line, being able to talk through some things that um, when you're at the line signaling, doing all that, it's not as much communication that can be had. And I think that's kind of the problem. We're breaking late, probably over-communicating some things and, and getting up there and... Um, it can be, you know, pressed for time a bit. So we just got to keep working through that and kind of find what fits us best. Yeah, I, I, that to me makes no sense either. The more I thought about that yesterday, uh-huh. we're having issues getting plays in. So let's completely scrap what we've done for three plus years and go to a huddle system, which I've never done and my quarterback's never done. Instead of just honing what you do, again... It's throwing something at the wall and seeing if it sticks. And here's the quote exactly that you guys were referring to. Yeah, as you've seen last couple weeks um, with huddling, something we neither one of us have done. It's uh, had our moments um, trying to get the play, you know, called, getting it in, uh, getting to the line, and, and not being pressed for time. And that's something we got to work at if we want to be able to do that and kind of calm everybody down. Some of those new pieces, we've got to be more efficient and, and expedite the process. And, and uh, hopefully, we can we can get better at this this week. That that might be that might be the all time low for the amateur hour thing we're watching right now. Might be. Honestly, I mean to be to be this far down the road in a regime and confronting this problem now is is really just heinous to me. It's if you heard Wolf talk yesterday, he talked very eloquently about how important a huddle is to the psychology of a football team, to the accountability of a football team, to to your teammates getting involved in a huddle and being able to encourage each other or bark at each other or. Or give each other a piece of advice or looking at each other and going, my bad, man, that ain't going to happen again. Or take a deep breath or take a deep breath and make sure the communication is fine. And it's and and, and that to me is just it's unbelievable to me. It really, really is. And then the fact that you've got the guy wearing the wristband coming in in the middle of year four, and it's a <laughs> all right. So they've got to be the only team ever that runs a hurry up offense and gets delays of game. Thank you. That's, <laughs> that doesn't exactly, logically exactly even make right. sense. You're exactly right. And so the idea that that this offense is buttoned up enough where you can just come to the line of scrimmage on the fly, which does have its merits at times. You keep the defense from subbing, and and you put a defense on its heels. If you do it right, but uh, as a full-time philosophy, it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea for a lot of reasons, not just the importance of the huddle. You don't necessarily want to play at mock speed all the time because you're going to blow out your defense. Absolutely. You come up and you and you go three and out with no huddle, and your defense goes, wait a minute, I just walked off that football field 81 seconds ago, mm-hmm. and you want me to walk back on? I didn't even get water. <laughs> I Hol- barely just got my Homie, helmet off. Homie's in the bathroom. We can't even get on the field yet. <laughs> so I, that's it's just the, it's just this kind of stuff that it's just. I, can you believe that they're trying to refit this stuff on the fly in the middle of year four? I mean, no, it's but unreal. yes, because it's, it's, been, it's been such a blank show that, yeah. you, I mean, the desperate times no. call for desperate measures. Should we give them credit for doing something? Well, Finally? if you want, if it works. The uh, the same with like the play, the play uh, wristband or whatever that Kyler's wearing now. Which, it's like, uh, Dave, yeah. again, think about that very point. Debuting that as a tool to help your quarterback in week eight of year four. Woof. <laughs> In the same offense. In the same offense. The with same the same offense. play caller. In, in the same offense. 
that Kyler supposedly already knew when he was drafted. Yeah. Remember, he was the one that was like teaching the other players the offense. Yeah, that's certainly what offense was advertised. Destined to fail in the NFL, and well, I think that's the big takeaway. Yeah, bottom line is this is just our long way of saying. No big deal that Steve Kime didn't make any moves yesterday because right now the feel is that this is beyond saving. It's, that's, it's hard to argue with that. It, and really, I, it really, really is. And I know what the naysayers will say. Who cares about draft picks? The draft history is not good anyway. But you know what? You got a better chance on hitting of a draft pick if you got more picks to make. I uh, I had a theory very early on when we had nothing available to us but speculation, and that theory was about the the elevation of Jeff Gladney to starting safety, um, the idea of letting veterans walk, the idea of not replacing Chandler Jones, of waiting really late to sign Kyler Murray. I had this vibe that part of the reason why Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury got their huge contract extensions was because everybody was bracing for a low-budget, shoestring kind of season, and they might have known in advance that this was going to be the outcome. Yeah. And, and so, as a, as, a, as a way to take the heat off the owner... This is you guys do this. You guys deal with the with the heat from this. And that was that was my that was just a feeling I had six, seven months ago. And I'll be damned if I don't have that feeling still, which, again, if you want to just think about the logic in that strategy, how hard it is to elevate a team. Cliff Kingsbury took over a three win team. They went to five to eight to eleven. And yes, last year was disappointing the way it ended, but you're still in that group of teams that can compete. Yeah. And then you enact the yeah. low-budget low strategy. If that happened, it's puzzling to the nth degree. Right. And, and so, so, so you can look at this trade deadline in any number of ways, but there are teams that really kind of obviously declared, we are going for this. Oh, without a doubt, and and you know, uh, obviously San Francisco going mm-hmm. out. Uh, Christian McCaffrey's second week as a Forty Nine er NFC defense or offensive player of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, there were other puzzling moves. I thought like th- the Bears trading away their whole defense and then getting giving up a second round pick for a wide receiver. That, that didn't strike me as as dumb as a lot of people thought. I, I think that what they need to do, whether or not you you th- you like Justin Fields, you, you can't deny that he is actually growing on the job and pairing him up with a piece long term. I don't know how much you like Chase Claypool, but I I, I liked him a lot more at the beginning of his career. He was career. good two years ago. Yeah. Right, yeah. he was good two years ago. So I, I think it was really, that was really more a quarterback long term development kind of move. On the surface, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. There's people who think now that, that Baltimore's got their hands on Roquan Smith, that, that the Ravens this is the kind of guy they'd extend. That they might be, that Lamar Jackson might have really messed this up. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. see. Uh, there, there was a lot of moves. Very active trade deadline, just not in Arizona. You can text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. Coming up next, Suns keep cruising at home. Wasn't all that easy against a very big and long Minnesota Timberwolves team. We'll get into some of the details of it next. Bickley and Murata mornings on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Chris Paul. Between the circles of the ball, drives left side, keeps coming, fires it in the corner to Cam Johnson, a three, Suzanne, his seven, he has 29 points. I'm um, just settling in, man, good shooting around, shots felt good all, all pregame, missed the first two, um, but, you know, just got guys that find me, and I just kind of stuck with it, and 
it started to go down. So, you know, just trying to find them in flow, trying to keep my rhythm throughout the game and staying aggressive. Um, and then helps when you got some pretty good teammates around you. Cam Johnson, one of the big... Oh, sorry. Cam... Johnson? Johnson, yeah. one of the big stories of last night's win for the Phoenix Suns. Had his best offensive game of the year by far. 29 points, 10 of 17 from the floor. 7 of 11 from three-point range, as you heard the seventh called by Al McCoy there. 29 points. Suns beat the uh, Timberwolves 116-107. to 107. Uh, in a game that, you know, again, wasn't, um, you know, a 48 minute joyride by any stretch. No. That game got off to a real rugged start. Both teams were playing pretty intense defense. But it was the Suns who started shooting the ball better earlier, and that was one of the keys to the game. And Cam Johnson was a big part of that. The, uh, the vibe that I talked about going into the game about how Devin Booker, the relationship with Carl Anthony Towns and D'Lo, it's almost like he's got a psychological advantage. And it kind of felt that way during the game that even though the Timberwolves kept making little runs at the Suns, and even though that was a close game in the fourth quarter, uh, it, it just felt like the Suns always knew when they had to take control and always did when that moment arrived. Uh-huh. Kind of felt that way to me. Yes. Um, Just looking at the Timberwolves, they're kind of a a science experiment right now. They are a huge basketball team. Okay. They came out with Jaden McDaniels, who's 6'9", long. He's got like a 7'2 wingspan. He Mm. was guarding Chris Paul. That size will cause problems for teams, but I think we saw, you know, when, when that trade went down, Rudy Gobert went to Minnesota. You know, and, and critics of the Timberwolves said, is this going to work? I think last night was a perfect example of why it won't work. We saw very uh, exemplary games of, of what's wrong with their, their players. Carl Anthony Towns put up 24-10-7. It was mostly empty. Yeah, I no thought. impact at all. Rudy Gobert didn't score a basket. Mm-hmm. D'Angelo Russell was no factor at all. No. Listen, they've got some better players on the bench than some of their marquee players. This Nas Reed guy looks like he's a really good player in the making. Mm -hmm. I I couldn't agree with you more. I'm watching the game going on, and I'm asking myself, why in the world did this team trade for Rudy Gobert? He had the the DA fumbleitis. He could not catch a ball inside. He could not corral a ball inside. It was it, so, and I thought to myself, okay, if if you've got Rudy Gobert, who's got stone hands now and is a iffy scorer to begin with, despite mm-hmm. his size, then that means you're parking Carl Anthony Towns on the perimeter, which is okay. He's very good from the perimeter occasionally, but he's a much better low post scorer than Gobert is. So, w- w- what exactly are you trying to build here? Plus, you move Towns, and yes, Towns is very much a perimeter five when he plays the yeah. five. It has been in his I, career, but I agree with you to have that flexibility to put him low. You don't have that flexibility with Gobert. So then you put Carl Anthony Towns at the four, where he's not exactly fleet of foot against other fours. The mm-hmm. Suns guarded him with Cam Johnson last night, and he did a great job for most of the game. Yeah, Carl yeah. Anthony Towns did get hot in a stretch, and it got interesting for a while, but it just, I don't know, it just seems like a weird fit to me. It, it, I think they're doomed is what I think. They gave up a lot of draft capital for Rudy Gobert, and I don't think that piece is going to, to put that team over the top. Um, yeah, I, they, that's a team in the West that does not scare me one bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cam Johnson again, 29 points, and he was guarding Carl Anthony Towns. Talked about the back and forth verbally all night long between those two players. It was like... 
do you think I fouled you on that play? Or like, you definitely hit my arm. Like, it wasn't like, you know, going at each other, barking back and forth. It was just like a literal simple conversation. Like, what, what, what are y'all, like, what are y'all running? Not that he's going to tell me, but I'll ask, I'll ask players that all the time. What you guys running? Like, who are you looking for? And sometimes I get a response. Someone ever told you? Yeah, I'd be like, I ain't doing nothing. And they don't do nothing. So... <laughs> I, I ask like you, free you, there's there's well it's just like I don't know there's there's just a lot of conversations on the court that happen all the time or maybe they're trying to trick you so that like I I would be the type to be like I'm not doing nothing and I'm not doing nothing so they trust me a little bit and next time I say I'm not doing nothing and I'm doing something and they're relaxed so I was almost had to take that with a grain of salt but uh, yeah it's a, there's a lot of small conversations on the court some not all of them are like chippy like I hate you I want to rip your head off some of them are just <laughs> simple Cam Johnson is great um, last night was big for the Suns too because let's face it their bench pretty much stunk last night yes and but, but again this was a game to me this is the game where you saw the Cam Johnson that the Suns need him to be mm-hmm. which is a incredible threat from the perimeter if he can if he can start making three if he can be a legitimate three point threat like that consistently and he's clearly got the stroke to do it, it, it it's going to make a dramatic difference on this team I think the leveling up of Mikhail Bridges you saw some of that again last night he had an unbelievable drive and scoop layup he's been fantastic Filthy. Yeah. And that was advertised. Hey, Mikael Bridges needs to be more of a ball handler, yeah. more of a slasher going to the rim, and he has been fantastic in that yeah. aspect this yeah. year. And Chris Paul is, is again, playing a very restrained uh, kind of game. Ended up with 12 assists. You saw that story about how he could be the oldest player to ever lead the NBA in assists. Do you know who that is now? Oscar Robertson. Steve Nash. Steve Nash. He could, he Jeff could be. Petrie. Uh, and that's with taking the ball out of his hands a lot more. Um, I want to go back to the bench, though, because it, right. it looked like in early in the fourth quarter, it was a comfortable double-digit lead. The bench was in, and you're thinking, ah, maybe Monty Williams is going to get away with you know extended minutes for the bench in the fourth quarter. That lead evaporated in a hurry. Mm-hmm. Minnesota got to within two. Starters came back in with, with 8.35 to go. And then another complication, Devin Booker picked up his fifth foul. So he sat and watched most of it. He didn't come back in until 24 seconds were left in the game because, can I tell you another big pet peeve of mine? I know. If you're down by double digits and you're within a minute... Stop fouling and calling timeouts. Oh, it drives yeah. me crazy. Uh-huh. As a guy who has to get up at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, no, I can see why. Get, on the, get on the bus. I can see why that would bother you more than somebody else. Oh. <laughs> even if I, that even time, if, I could just turn the television off. Yeah, but even in not in that situation, that has always bothered me. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It's, it's, very, it's very hairy high school. Yeah. When there's a will, there's a way. Right. <laughs> what kind of a dork would say that? Yeah. Uh, Tell me about it, no, it's it, all right. You've had <laughs> teaching moments all night long. You have to extend your teaching moments. Uh, cover it in practice. Yeah. Please. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I hear you. It's, it's always been a pet peeve of mine as well. Um, you're also right that Jock Landell, they, people have a hard time saying his name. I was going back and forth through both broadcasts, and I think I figured out what it is. It's the weird It's the weird transition between Jock and Landale because it could be Jack and Londale, and you don't use Jock very often as a first name, so it kind of trips you up going into the last name, yes. and people butcher it. What, it's bizarre. What Bick is referring to is a lot of people put the stress on the wrong syllable. Yeah. Jock Landale. Yeah. 
Uh, I just think what city is State Farm Stadium in? Is it Glendale or Glendale? Glendale. It's like my dad. My dad always used to do that thing with Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. <laughs> Broadway. It's a garden and it's square. You do it with the phrase, so be it. You say, so be it. So do you be know it. that? So be it. So be it. The so be it. I didn't know that was a thing. Oh no! I, so be it. it just, so be it. Now you know me. Now I'm going to be self-conscious. <laughs> so way. be it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here's what. Here's the one thing that I really did uh, admire about this new Jock Landale guy is wh- what are his stats from shooting three pointers. Not good. Yeah, but he's just, he keeps chucking them. <laughs> he does. He he's a good shooter. They look good. He's a good shooter. He's got good. a good stroke. Uh, he was 0 for 4 last night. Yeah. He's shooting like, like, I don't know. 2 for 19 on the season? Something like yeah. that. Uh, they will Bismack start, they will start was, falling. was better than Landell last night. Bismack was fantastic last night. Four thought, blocks. Again. I thought campaign was good in the first half. First half, yes. Yeah, a little sloppy yes. after yeah. that. Uh, he again but, over the past two games, listen. he's had three of the he's had three of the worst passes in the history of the Phoenix Suns organization. That's very true. <laughs> but if let's dial out here now and say this basketball team is six and one, mm-hmm. people are asking, is this the best team in the West? Which is really ridiculously early. But when you dial out, this is this is everything you'd hope they would have done. And they that, really could be seven and zero. Oh, I mean, they yeah. lost an overtime by oh, two without points. Without a doubt. And look. Things are weird in basketball right now. And oh. There's two things that you can fall back on. Milwaukee's really good in the East, and the Suns are still really good in the West. Weird. Do you see the line that's out there now that winning is the new tanking? <laughs> it certainly that's appears to be. The NBA. All these Kawhi teams. That- Leonard, how's his return going, Vinny? Uh, <laughs> need a day off. Wait a minute. Two games in Texas? I can't get on that plane. My knee is sore. Uh, yeah, good win for the Suns last night. They got uh, two back-to-back Friday and Saturday against Portland. Coming up next, yeah, it was home run derby in Philadelphia for the Phillies over the Astros. And we have allegations of tip pitching. Pitch tipping. Pitch tipping. Cow so tipping. Be it. So, <laughs> Ruffle Shuster. Ruffle Shuster, Russell Westbrook. That's my favorite. It's an an Ash Dragon Wednesday here on Bickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Cutters kicks and comes home. And the pitch swung on. Hits him. Right field. And the Phillies are going to lead it. Yeah, they are. Bryce Harper has put the Phillies on top with a two-run home run over the out-of-town scoreboard. And the pitch to Alec Bohm. Blasted. Left field deep. Alvarez back. He turns. He looks. It's gone. It just clears. Lead-off homer here in the second for Alec Bohm on a low laser just over the left field wall. I could play three more of those uh, home run highlights for the Phillies last night. Five home runs. They became the first World Series team to hit three home runs in the first two innings of a World Series game. Uh, Five home runs for a World Series game tied a record. Lance McCullers Jr. became the first pitcher ever to give up five home runs in a postseason game, let alone the World Series. Uh, you saw the results, 7 nothing. How about those Phillies announcers? <laughs> They're going to take the lead. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they are, and, cl- and clapping in the middle of it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we don't have to go there. But um, after the game, well, even during the game, after Bryce Harper hit the home run, next inning, he calls over Alec Bohm. Get the cameras capture him in his ear. What's he telling him? Mm-hmm. Were you tipping pitches? 
you know, Ken Rosenthal asked the question. Everybody on Philadelphia's side is tight-lipped. Oh, yeah. Lance McCullers Jr. comes out afterwards and, and says what he should say. I wasn't tipping pitches. I just got whooped, bottom line. Now, there was all kinds of theories. John Boy was breaking it down. Rob Friedman, the pitching ninja, was breaking it down. Pedro Martinez was breaking it down on the Fox broadcast about the different ways you could be tipping pitches. Some people alleged, hey, it was the height of the leg kick for certain pitches. I thought Pedro's breakdown was pretty interesting. It wasn't about leg kick because he had been altering that throughout. It was about the height of his glove on his delivery. And it was also about the leg, the left leg on, on certain pitches. It was much closer to his body. Uh-huh. And so that, that could be a tell. So could, so could the hands be as well. And I thought it was fascinating. And, and I'm going to back up a minute here. So the game starts and the vibe in Philly is exactly what you think it would be. Top of the first, the Phillies, who are anything but a good defensive team, come up with a great couple of defensive plays in the first mm-hmm. inning. So the crowd's going nuts. Then Bryce Harper comes to bat and delivers exactly what the crowd had come to see. Mm-hmm. A mammoth tone-setting home run. And it was one of these moments that you're like, man, this is unbelievable that this is all happening for Bryce Harper here and now. That this guy, after all these years, is becoming that guy. Yeah. That guy, the 300. When he got that contract, people were like, oh, God, come on. Well, I mean, there have been annual player surveys in Major League Baseball where they ask the question and they're all anonymous, who's the most overrated player? And even though Bryce Harper had put up stats, he'd won MVPs and been in the spotlight, Bryce Harper was always at the top of that list. Yeah, This is the year, and more specifically the postseason, where he's kind of erasing those thoughts on him. No doubt about it. These these star power magic moments he's delivering are really, this is going to help baseball. This is is something that is I think very compelling. And then as you said, he gets to the dugout, and then he starts calling over a guy who's in the on-deck circle, a guy who later homered himself, yes. and it's pretty clear Lance McCullers was tipping his pitches. Now, I, I thought it's fascinating because we live this in one of the biggest sporting events we have ever hosted in Arizona, yes. Game 6 of the one World Series uh-huh. against Andy Pettit, who is one of the greatest clutch postseason pitchers in history, the Diamondbacks figured him out. He was tipping something and it turned into a rout, a laugher. It was exactly what the team needed to flush those last awful two games in New York. It changed everything. Just the single act of finding a tell from a starting pitcher. Just amazing. Everything. The the amount of study and detail that these guys watch and that whole organization watches with. It, it's crazy. There was, um, there was a guy in Chicago named Joe Nasek who used to work for the White Sox when I covered that team way back in the day. And he had a reputation as being just an eagle eye, they, uh, the kind of guy that could watch a pitcher and see that kind of stuff. I could never do that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But it really speaks to you because if you talk to great pitchers in baseball, they'll tell you that it is impossible to 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 face the game's elite hitters. The game's elite hitters will tell you it's impossible to face the game's elite pitchers. So it's created this, not only a cheating dynamic, but this dynamic of we need to find a way to break this guy. And the idea of of a pitcher getting caught tipping pitches in a gigantic moment, it's a real embarrassing thing that an organization has to deal with. There's a lot of people involved and around the Astros who are like, why didn't why did your staff not see that he was doing that mm-hmm. and and get that thing taken care of? When he gave up that fifth home run, I'm like, <laughs> why is he still in right. there? 
Right. Uh, Bryce Harper, after the game, about sharing tips with Alec Boehm. I think anytime you have information, um, you want to be able to you know, give that to your teammates at any point. So anytime I can help my teammates um, you know, throughout the whole season, we've done that. And, um, yeah. Yeah, not only is he hitting home runs, he's instructing his teammates on how to hit home runs. Yeah. I think the telltale sign on this will be whether or not, if this series drags on, which it very well could, 2-1 right now, Philly, going into game four tonight, will we see Lance McCullers again? Because if you're tipping your pitches, your mechanics are off. That's true. And can, can you fix that from day to day, or is that something where they just, or does Dusty Baker say, you know what, Lance McCullers was right, he just got whooped, he got you know better approach by Philadelphia? Yeah, I don't know. Let's really dig deep. Was there trash can banging going on with the Phillies? <laughs> well, and, and again, it certainly looked like they knew what was coming. And I'm sure Lance McCullers, on some level, is looking at his guys, going, "Thanks a lot for helping me out, man." Why? why you didn't you, notice that? You didn't notice that? Yeah. And, and now he's in the position where he he can't throw his 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 uppers and his bosses under the bus, so he's got to take the blame for that. The other thing I was going to say about this, it's amazing to me what the Phillies are doing. The Phillies were an 87-win baseball team that was nothing special. And you know what they did at the trade deadline, even though they were just marginally good? They went all in. Mm-hmm. And and it's proof that if you go all in and you get into the playoffs and you have a team that can win playoff games, it's... So wait a minute, is this going back to Steve Kime again? <laughs> Doesn't everything? <laughs> but but the purist will say the Phillies were a third place team in their own division. I know. What are they doing there? They beat the Cardinals. They beat no. They beat the Braves. Right? The Cardinals then the Braves, and now that was weeks ago. I don't that know. was weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, and so now they're feeling Houston is still the better team, and but but this this game four now this this World Series I think is is has now gotten officially interesting. Isn't it funny how even though the baseball has the quickest and shortest postseason, it feels like the Diamondbacks played like eight months ago. Yeah. It's been, well, just about a month, but it seems like a lot longer. You're right. Uh, it's shaping up to be a good World Series. 2-1. Phillies lead the Astros. Uh, game four in Philly tonight. Coming up next, Suns notch another win at home. You got a closer look through Vinny's view next. Bickley and Murata's, uh Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.